This is episode 40 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and my guest tonight is making his third appearance on the show. He's the host of the Oilers Live podcast, my good friend, Michael Bear. Michael, how's it going tonight? Uh, it's going great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. You know, I always look forward to talking Oilers hockey with you. And, you know, over the past four years, I've probably recorded more podcasts with you than anyone else. So I'm glad we could do this again. I know. In fact, um, and I said to you earlier today, I think it's been, I mean, it's been a couple months maybe since we last spoke, which feels like forever Mm -hmm. uh, because we've recorded so many. Yeah, I think the last time the Oilers were still first place in the Western Conference, so that'll kind of date the podcast right there. <laughs> oh, man. That, was was but, that a uh, thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, December 1st. I think they were still first place in either the West or the league in terms of points percentage, but yeah. uh, kind of seems like a, a bit of a distant memory right now. It sure does. However... Uh, Let's hope that they're going to be trending in the right direction again soon. And we had some major news in oil country today, so why don't we just dive right in. Uh, head coach Dave Tippett and associate coach Jim Playfair were fired and replaced by Bakersfield Condors head coach Jay Woodcroft and assistant coach Dave Manson. Uh, Michael, a majority of Oilers fans on Twitter seem to think that this decision was long overdue. What's your take on the coaching change today? Yeah, you and I actually have had our discussions on this topic for quite some time. I've, I've, I've um, while I've, I haven't been asking for Tippett's head uh, for the whole part of his tenure. I, I certainly thought there were moments uh, in his time with the Oilers that I felt maybe he wasn't the right coach uh, and wasn't suited for the job, and it had nothing to do with his regular season record. It had mostly to do with how he coached in the playoffs or in big big ticket situations. Of course now we're you know, we're regular season and, and we're struggling and I would say probably for about the last ten, maybe twelve games, I've been really pushing hard on it uh, as something I wanted to see done. Uh, so, you know, I, I support the move by Ken Holland. I think it's a little too late, but I you know, I'm definitely on the supporting side of it. Yeah, I mean, like, you never want to see someone lose their job, right? I mean, we're not here to celebrate Dave Tippett and Jim Playfair getting fired. But I, I really think that this decision needed to be made. They, the, the Oilers need a new voice. And you could argue that this decision should have been made a month ago, maybe even two months ago, back in December, when I believe they won, or sorry, I believe they lost 12 straight games with Tippett behind the bench. The only two they won were the games that he missed uh, due to COVID protocol. And, you know, they, the struggles kind of continued into January until they had that nice 5-0-1 stretch <clears throat> right before the All-Star break. But, um, you know, after losing two straight games coming back from the break, only scoring one goal in the two games, it, uh, Ken Holland just said he had a gut feel that it was time to make this decision and, and really – it just this might be the only way to try and save the season, salvage the season to get a new guy in there to get this team headed in the right direction and try to make that push over the last 38 games to get into the playoffs. Yeah, you know, uh, that's it's kind of interesting, right? I mean, yeah, I, I Holland's wording, you know, gut, gut decision. I think it, 
you know, took a few people off guard. I, I, I feel like, you know, there's um, maybe even a challenge in the Oilers organization when decisions are being made, you know, by gut feel rather than, you know, the actual stats and analytics behind them. But, you know, wh- whatever it was, it, it was certainly time. You know, I'm curious because you and I have had this argument before, and and I mm-hmm. think you know, I think you, you know, you made great points, right? And it was hard to argue with Tippett's regular season record, uh, and you could maybe give him a break for sort of the weird playoffs that we had, right? Um, you know, or the, you know, the Chicago opening round, which you know really could have been anybody's uh, game. But, um, you know, I like what, you know, when I look at Tippett's record with the Oilers, my, my gut sort of tells me, and, and <laughs> I'm using Holland's terms there, <laughs> uh, but I feel like he, you know, he, he, there, here's a coach that when he was in Arizona, he did a lot with nothing, right? Like he, you know, he seemingly got the best out of players that, really shouldn't have been where they were right in terms of building a good team and a solid you know solid record yeah right uh but he came to edmonton this is a whole new dynamic having arguably the two best players on the planet on your roster uh this is not something this is you know like back when scotty (laughs) bowman now i really sound like holland bringing up detroit red wing days but you remember when scotty bowman had like tons of superstars on his team Right. Yeah. And everybody wondered, like, could they all, you know, sit in the same dressing room? Could they all do this? Could they all do that? I think that, you know, you need a guy that has a special skill set, you know, has a real identity that that works with players like Dreisaitl and with McDavid. And I just don't feel like Tippett ever got his wheels under him, that he ever quite figured that out. Right. Like, you know, the overplaying, the. You know, the playing yeah. them together, the not, you know, a whole bunch of different things we could complain about. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's your show, but <laughs> I'm no, curious no, what I mean, your I, thoughts are on that. No, I, yeah. it's great to hear your yeah. thoughts. And I mean, I remember when Tippett was hired in May of 2019. Uh, one of the biggest questions that uh, the Edmonton media had for him was how is a defensive minded coach going to handle superstar players like McDavid and Dreisidel? And, he seemed to give the answer, if I remember correctly, uh, we're going to create more offense by playing good defense, and it's going to lead to chances going the other way. But it really was a different system that he had in Arizona. Like you mentioned, they didn't have a lot of superstar talent, but you could argue maybe the depth of those uh, Coyotes teams was better than the depth that the Oilers have now, at least in terms of playing a grinding kind of uh, physical defensive minded style and they they always had uh, top notch goaltending I mean Ilya Brizgalov was there when he oh, first yeah. got to Arizona and he was playing stellar hockey right before he signed that big deal with the Flyers and then Mike Smith uh, was there and this was like prime Mike Smith not not that you know he's completely fallen off the map I mean this season it's been you know, plagued by injury, so he's not been able to get any type of consistency going. Uh, and and kind of ironically, playing him back to back nights is sort of what led to Tippett finally uh, getting fired yesterday or today. But 
uh, Mike Smith, when he was in Arizona, he was a fantastic goaltender. I think people forget he was named to the 2014 Olympic team, even as the third string goalie. So he was recognized as one of the best Canadian goalies in the league. And that was just the type of team that Tippett had in Arizona, very different from this team in Edmonton that really thrives off creating offense in transition, a team that dominates on the power play. It's just uh, maybe Tippett isn't or wasn't the right coach for this group. Despite two straight promising regular seasons, they just didn't get it done in the playoffs. But um, but yeah, it's it, it's like I sort of mentioned before. You never want to see someone get fired, but this was, a, this was something that I think the Oilers needed to do. They had to try and get, a, like I said, a new voice in there to see if this group can rally around that and, and maybe get that coach bump that a lot of teams do when they... Uh, have a new voice. Do you, do you think Holland waited too long? I mean, that's that's what I think. I mean, I well, think he had an opportunity to, you know, uh, part ways with Tippett, what, yeah. which was the rumor prior to the big break, you know, give, I, I mean, the Woodcroft thing is not really a surprise, right? I mean, I, mean, I, I would have done it in December when they were really starting to fall apart. I mean, you look at the 16-5-0 start that they had, followed by that disastrous 2-11-2 stretch. Somewhere in that time is when they probably should have made the move. And some will say, well, look at the the, the six-game unbeaten streak that they had right before the, the All-Star break. And that was really impressive, too. And as soon as that happened, I think everyone thought, well, now the Oilers are going to stick with tip it the rest of the way plus ken holland has never fired a coach in season before as he said at that uh press conference in mid-january that that's not how he does business uh, any decisions like that he likes to make in the off season and that's when he would potentially address a, a coaching change as well as this is the final year of Tippett's three-year contract so they could have just not even fired him but not renewed his contract when it expired at the end of june um but it's just it came down to the point where if this group is going to get back into the hunt for, you know, we were hoping for a division title at the start of the year. That's not going to happen now. But if they're even going to compete for a playoff spot or try and catch uh, Calgary for home ice, they they really have to start putting some wins together. And the way that the team just looked last night, it was it was almost like they had checked out on a coach and I know that they'll, they won't admit to that and, and maybe they don't even believe it themselves, but sometimes the group just needs someone new to come in and provide a, a, a different perspective on things, a new system. And, and let's hope that Jay Woodcroft can bring that. Yeah. And you know, it seems lately, you know, there's rumblings, right? Like not enough playtime or, you know, various yeah. different things. You know, just little offhand comments. And and I don't think, you know, a good leader on a team isn't going to come out and call the coach out. But, you know, they might say, give you little hints that, you mm -hmm. know, gives you a bit of a compass in terms of which way they're feeling or thinking. And, and certainly that's the way. You know, I here's... You brought up... Uh, Arizona, I guess they were Phoenix at the time. And you said that they had, you know, maybe more depth than I was giving them credit for. Look at the Oilers, though. Like, and this is, and this is the challenge that I have 
with Tippett. I mean, we've we've come out of two games where we scored, you know, one one goal. Yeah, we've got McDavid, Drysaddle, Ryan Nugent, Hopkins, Hyman, Puliyarvi, Yamamoto. That's six guys that are bonafide. Well, I mean, Yamamoto, you could argue, but he has been argue, a top yeah. of six, top six at times. And then we added in Kane. We added in Fogel, who has mysteriously gone away this year, right? Like, is not playing his typical, you know, year of hockey. Like, he's he's definitely a better player than what he's what he's provided. He's uh, a guy who has 15 goal potential. He's not going to get there this year, but I, I will still say, even even though he has had a few lengthy scoring droughts the guy is still creating chances and I like the way he drives to the net and, and plays physical and has a good combination of size and speed. So maybe the first year with a new team or the first half year, it it takes you a little while to get used to a new surroundings, but I still think Warren Fogle has a future here. Well, and, and so you have all of those guys, right? I guess, you know, my question is why can't we get, because I, you know, I've said this about, I've had to have said it a dozen times on, on the Oilers live show, which is if you put this lineup, at, at, even at the beginning of the season, I, I think everybody would have said, if you put this lineup against, say, L.A. or, say, Anaheim or, say, Calgary or, say, you know, a number of different teams, and you said, who's got the most depth, you know, who's who's ready and and uh, who will make the playoffs, everybody would have still taken the Oilers lineup. Yeah. They would have, well, they would it, have gladly taken that. And I, so to me, and here's, here's my point, is I've, I've spent a lot of time over the past couple months listening to a lot of NHL media and a lot of you know, NHL alumni and a lot of different people. And they keep saying the same things about different teams, right? Which is... You know, that's, uh, you know, a Sullivan coach team that is a, um, you know, that's like, a, that's the Trots. kind of, yeah, Trot's Trot's style of play. That's, you know, that's how, uh, how Yao plays, right? Or, or which, or I, I mean, he's pretty new, but. So you're saying there's a lack of uh, identity. There's, there's a lack of identity and mm-hmm. we're not getting the most of the players we have. Well, I think the the team's identity is that they are a powerful offensive team led by primarily two superstars, but as well as the supporting cast of some of the other guys you mentioned. Maybe it's before, a bias, like though, but when has anybody ever said that's a Tippett coach team? Um, well, like probably that's back a Sutter coach in team in Calgary, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, like they're uh, like, they're doing really great and I would have easily taken I'd still take the Oilers roster over the Calgary Flames yeah, roster. Yeah, so would I. I mean, you're not whatever roster has Connor McDavid on that. That's the no, roster well, yeah. I'm taking. <laughs> yeah, there's that but, too. <laughs> you know, one other thing is too, the Oilers still have a lot of divisional games ahead of them and if I'm not mistaken, they have a 10 and 3 record against the Pacific Division this season. So, if they can continue to play as well against their divisional rivals as they have so far, then they should get into the playoffs. Those are the games that you need to make sure you get. Uh, obviously, there's still more games to be played other than the teams in your own division, but the, the division the Oilers play in isn't one of the strongest ones in the league, 
and there are winnable games there. So with a bunch of those ahead, those are the ones the Oilers have to have. And if they can get those games, then you give yourself a really good chance to eventually catch up to and pass teams like Anaheim, LA, San Jose. And now you're talking about being in the mix. Like Vegas is at the top, but you get closer to being in the mix with Calgary for second or third. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think that the the playoffs are a write-off. Oh, I mean, the I, yeah, I'm just not barely half over. I, I still think the Oilers are making the playoffs. Um, I was going to actually ask you that later in the podcast, but since we're at it right now, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, put it out to you. Like, do you, do you still see the Oilers as a playoff team? I, I'm going to go with what I went with, you know, a couple weeks ago, which is no. I like. I think the the challenge for the Oilers, and I, and it pains me to say that because it would hurt to no end if if we didn't see this team in the playoffs. Uh, But the challenge for them, even with games in hand, is how many teams are above them in the standings, right? And to me, that's, you know, and I'm hoping there's, if there's a bump and, you know, Woodcroft comes in and, and the challenge with the coaching bump is typically a coach has some practice time, but with the schedule being the way it is, Woodcroft is coming in and it's just going to be game after game after game after game. It's a compressed schedule for sure. Yeah, You know, he's just not going to have as much opportunity to shape the team the way he'd want to shape them. But I, Hey, look, you know, we were talking about uh, Tippett being out on COVID protocol and the right. team being able to win a couple games, which I feel has a lot to do with just in-game coaching. Yeah, and I mean, that was when Gullitson and Playfair were mm-hmm. basically sharing the head coaching responsibilities for that game and for those two games in Seattle and uh, the other one's escaping me, who they, the other team they beat in late December. But uh, at regardless, I do think that that you know getting a, a a new coach in there who can sort of try to implement some new systems and uh, give them a, a fresh a fresh approach. Sometimes just coming to the rink and and having that, I think will will obviously be a a welcome to this team. Who, like I said, I didn't want to say they checked out on Dave uh, on Dave Tippett, but sometimes when you're going through like a rough patch like this, just having a breath of fresh air can sometimes rejuvenate the group. And let's hope that that's what ends up happening here. Um, and another thing, like we do have games in hand. So the Oilers, because of how many games they had postponed because of COVID, they are still, you know, five or six games behind those California teams ahead of them. And they're, they play them next week. I mean, that's the biggest, most important stretch of games this season is uh, the, the three straight games they play against uh, Anaheim, San Jose, and L.A. coming up, as well as the Jets, who are sort of on the downswing right now. I mean, those are four games. You you want to at least get two of them, and then hopefully three. That's where you start to kind of make up some ground because they're all four-point games. Uh, but like you said, it's, it's going to be a tough climb. They have 40 games in the last 81 days of mm-hmm. the season. So you're basically playing every other night. And... This group, we'll see if they can handle that challenge because they've had a lot of time off lately. And can they take this intense schedule that's coming up, followed by an even 
tougher schedule if they get into the playoffs because now you're talking about a two-month tournament that's a full grind every single night that you're out there. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough road ahead, but I, I still believe that they're going to get in. Yeah, I yeah, I, I want to have that belief. I just look at it, and it is it is a tough climb, and yeah. I, and I I might have that belief again, but it's not going to be it's it's five or six games out, right? Like it is it is a matter of to me it's it's what happens in the next say by game fifty, right? Where the Oilers sit and how they've you know have they changed their world around enough, and I. You know, I think. Well, let me ask you, Lee. Yeah. What? Sorry, I was going to say. What do you hope that Jay Jay, um, Jay Woodcroft is going to specifically bring into this group, aside from just a new voice in the locker room? Yeah, I. You know, what's bothered me the most, right, is is usage uh, on the team, mm-hmm. right? Um, some of it over usage. As much as you'd love to have McDavid and Drysaitel out there all the time, I think they're being overplayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and some of that is has to do with also maybe underplaying other players, right? And yeah. so how like how difficult is it for a third line to be truly effective when they're ho- only hoping to get you know ten ten eleven minutes a night, right? You know it, that's the kind of uh, like utilization we need to you know we need to encourage wow. is that these you know the third line gets more minutes. Uh, McDavid and Drysdale will get, you know, some, not a lot, but some fewer minutes. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, if you want to put Nuge as third line center, I think, you, you know, that's a, a great way to add depth to the lineup. If you don't, I like, I think if, if you start giving that third line more minutes, you're going to see some depth that you already have. I, I mean, at the beginning of the season, all the players on the Oilers were saying this is the most forward depth we've seen in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> oh, I mean, I, where did I, it go? I said right? it myself yeah. on this podcast. I said that I think this is the deepest roster on paper the Oilers have had since the early 90s. And I do think with the addition of Kane that you can still make that case. They do have to build chemistry still. Like I, I would take this forward group over the forward group in 2006 that went to the Stanley Cup final. And don't get me wrong, I love that team. I will always love that team. That was uh, the most fun I've ever had as a hockey fan, oh, was yeah. watching that playoff run. But aside from uh, Fernando Pisani's playoff heroics and Alish Hemsky uh, being a top point producer, what what got the Oilers to the Stanley Cup final that year was Dwayne Rolison's spectacular goaltending mm-hmm. and a prime Chris Pronger. Uh, those two things the Oilers don't have right now. They don't have a goaltender who can steal you a game the way that Rollison could for the Oilers in 06. And they don't have uh, a top 20, arguably top 10 defenseman of all time, like Chris Pronger playing at the absolute height of his abilities. If, if they had those two things on this current roster, I would think that the Oilers were legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. Well, do you think a better defensive system makes the goalie look better? I mean, yeah, do you think that's I, that's going to be part of it? I mean, this is, to me, this is, um, you know, we've been screaming for definitely. a new goaltending coach, among other things, in Edmonton for a long time. 
and I certainly hope that that's you know one of the directions. I mean, I mean, I you can't obviously pin it all on um, on Schwartz, but at the same time, I mean, we you know we keep screaming for a goalie. You know, you just talked about uh, Mike Smith earlier. I mean, uh, granted he's older, but he's you know he's still a good goalie. Last year he had yeah. moments of brilliance. He was um, seventh in yeah. uh, Vesna voting last year. Yeah, and and look at la- like last night. Granted, you know, I mean, it was uh, you know the save percentage was he awful. Battles. But, Every but, night he battles. Man, like Chicago in that first period, it could have been like ten nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, he does let in some leaky goals every now and then, but it seems like, you know, he's an intense competitor. And once he gets into the game, he's dialed in. And at that point, he's hard to beat. Now, obviously, he did let in two goals in the third period that kind of put the game out of reach for the Oilers. But he was keeping them in it all night. And and the reason why it was a one goal game for uh, the most of the last half anyway. But uh, yeah, it's. It's just a situation where I think the Oilers will eventually um, look for an upgrade there. But, um, I mean, just to go back to your other point, you do have to have strong defensive play in front of the goaltender. I've made this comment before, but you could take Dominic Hasek uh, from the late 90s when he was at his absolute best and put him on the 2010 Edmonton Oilers and they still wouldn't have made the playoffs. That team was still going to finish at the bottom and draft Taylor Hall first overall. It it wouldn't have mattered that they were having an all-time great goaltender behind them because the team was so poor. So if you can have a true number one goaltender but also a strong defense in front of them, yeah. that's how you build a team that can go on a deep playoff run. I mean, you look at the series against the Oilers and the Jets last year. On paper, I believe the Oilers had more talent than the Jets, especially superstar talent at the top. Maybe maybe you could argue that like uh, the Jets' fifth best player was better than the Oilers' fifth player, but uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl are a cut above anyone on Winnipeg. That being said, they played better defense in that series, and they had uh, a top three to top five goalie in the NHL. And that was the difference. The Oilers couldn't beat him at crucial moments, and the Jets were able to come away with a sweep. Even if the Oilers did carry the play in at least three of the four games and outshoot them, I think in all four games, it doesn't matter if they have the better goaltender back there. Exactly. No, and that's and that's exactly it. And um, I, I mean, we have to. Um we have to have better defense, like just a better play. Like I, I'm, you know, there are holes on this, on this roster, but Keith is not, you know, is for all of the, uh, grief that he gets. Um, it's mostly, you know, it's like the Lucic, Lucic thing. It has more to do with his contract than it has to do with the player himself. Right. Right. Uh, CC's been, I think really steady back there. You know, and and uh, Nurse. I mean, we know what we're getting out of Nurse, and Bouchard has some learning to do, but that's you know, to me, that's. I mean, it's not yeah. the best top four in the in the league, that's for sure. But they they they're better than what they're playing, and uh, for me, that's the problem. They're and I just think better that, than they are. And I think that Dave Manson will have a positive impact on that group. He's done excellent things in his time down in Bakersfield. And this is his first opportunity to coach in the NHL now. He spent 
over 10 years, I believe, coaching the Prince Albert Raiders in the WHL. He spent the past four years as an assistant in the AHL. Now he's coming up, and I think that he will work with this group. A bunch of the guys he knows, and and that kind of ties into what I also wanted to ask you about Jay Woodcroft. Do you think the fact that he was the Oilers' assistant coach up until 2018 and is familiar with a lot of these guys, as well as there's players that he coached in Bakersfield who've now made their way up to the big club, do you think that that familiarity with the players will sort of ease his transition into the head coaching job in Edmonton? I, I think a hundred percent. I mean, I you know, there's a couple of things. Woodcroft's a little bit younger, right? I think um, he's forty-five. Yeah, you know, so he's not. You know, he hasn't aged himself out of being able to talk to no. these guys, right? Do you know what I mean? Like he's. I mean, he's only like five years older than Mike Smith. Exactly. Right, <laughs> you know? and he, you know, he's a young-looking guy, and and yeah. and I think it matters, right? You know, it's um, you know, it's like. Uh, you know, like uh, Keith in in Toronto, right? Like he's just he's not old and stodgy, right? Like, you know, here's he's a got guy a few more grays than uh, than Jay Woodcroft has. The, he does, yeah. He's <laughs> he's definitely more gray, but I think they're around the same age. And, I think so. Yeah. And you know, um, somebody asked me on Twitter today, did I feel like Connor McDavid would respond well to a rookie coach? And I said yes because he knows Woodcroft, right? And in fact, yeah. he knows him well. And in For fact, three seasons, Woodcroft guy. coached. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's got you know got familiarity with them. You know, they've they definitely know each other. They have a rapport. Woodcroft ran the power play for for Connor McDavid's first three years in the NHL. That's a comfortability with a coach that you know you're not going to have from just any hire off uh, the free agent market. I mean, this is a, this is a guy who McDavid knows on a personal level. They, they would have spent, you know, like I said, several seasons working together. So I, I think that that will, um, I think that that will have an impact, but also I, I just want to see Woodcroft come in and bring in more accountability. And I think he will do that. And that might be one of the things that Dave Tippett kind of it kind of hampered him a little bit that he would always rely on his veterans. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, he wasn't as comfortable giving young players prime opportunities right away. And I, I just want to see him reward good play. And, uh, you know, if, if someone deserves to sit, then they should sit. It, it shouldn't be like just because they've played so many games in the league or so many years in the league that, if they have a stretch of bad play that they deserve to keep their spot. I think that if, if you are playing well and you're lower in the lineup, you deserve to be bumped up and play in a, you know, a better, a better line, a a more impactful line. And, and conversely, if you're, if your play is struggling, you should drop down the lineup. And I think Tippett was hesitant to do that. He didn't want to take uh, any of his veteran guys out of, the important roles on the team because he felt like the experience that they had would shine through even if there were players who were outplaying them but less experienced. Yeah, and you hit on uh, you know another thing. I mean, not just utilization, right, in terms of utilizing those top players, but also rewarding or accountability, rewarding good good play, rewarding, uh, you know, the right things, right? And mm-hmm. not so much about, like, you know, I, I don't believe in this, um, 
who was it came up and played one game, played like two minutes, had a couple of bad Samarukov. plays. Samarukov. He got beat, but uh, he well he got walked for two straight yeah. goals, and he didn't never, play again. The rest never of saw the night. never saw the ice ever now, again. Now Samarukov right? is a prospect that I have faith in can be a solid third pairing defenseman for the Oilers. You know he he's got uh, a little bit of Adam Larson in his game, um, maybe not exactly uh, the same mold as Larson. I think. Probably Sam Marukov had a little more offensive pop, at least at the junior level, than Larson had when he was playing in Sweden. But I just I, I feel like that's a guy who, you know, he he missed some time with injury and you know, he went back and forth from the AHL to the KHL last year. Now he's back in North America. Um, maybe he needs another year or two to work his way into being an NHL regular, but that can be a confidence killer when, you know, you, you get beat twice early in the game and then you well, just never see the ice again. Yeah. Let's look at it this way, right? You're a team that, you know, is, is supposedly struggling for depth, mm-hmm. right? And you've got a Samarukov who comes in, you know, plays a couple shifts, has a couple, you know, really bad shifts granted. Yeah. But never sees the ice again. Never has a chance to prove himself again, in which is in practically a full game. Like he, those happen early on in the game. So you well, know, yeah. So now he you're sits going on with five bench. defensemen. You know, for the for the last fifty minutes, forty five minutes of the game, however long it was, you're going with five defensemen. So take that. And, take that. Take Lagesson has a great game. The yeah. next day he's sent sent down, right? Take, you know, Bear has uh, arguably one of the best, you know, is is one of the best in uh, playoff series, but has makes a mistake and is sent down, right? Not sent down, but demoted, right? You know, like, take these times, right, and start to build up, you know, some animosity between these players and the coach. Well, you look in the playoffs last year, like you said, I mean, basically in that game four, uh, double overtime game against the the Jets that eliminated the Oilers. Edmonton went with four defensemen for almost both full overtime periods, and that's just a factor of Tippett not trusting Caleb Jones or Ethan Bear in those situations. And and as a result, Darnell Nurse played, I believe, sixty two minutes in one game the day before yeah, his crazy. son was born. So, I mean, what a warrior! nurse was to uh to play that many minutes in one night um but more of an indictment of Tippett not having any faith in his two young defensemen who while they were young they weren't that young like both guys were 23 turning 24 they're both born in the summer so it it's not like these were 20 year old defensemen these were guys who've been in the league a few years even if it had only been like you know, half a season here or there from getting recalled from the minors, they still were guys that had at least a hundred games of, or close to a hundred games of NHL experience yep. under their belt. I, I think Jones was at something like 93 games. Bear was over a hundred games, but uh, close enough. Tippett just in those crucial moments, didn't trust them out on the ice, even for a single shift in overtime. So that just kind of shows you like, what he thought of them in the big game situations. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the thing. So, you know, I mean, all of this, all of this discussion over the past, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes is to say, 
you know, we've got a team in the Edmonton Oilers that is a playoff team. Yeah. Right? We're we're sitting outside of a playoff situation. And so, you know, it's love or hate Tippett, right? He didn't get the job done. And so, you know, you have to, as as a general manager, you have to make a decision. I think it's too late, but, it, you know, that, that doesn't matter anymore. But he had to make a decision to make the move. I think we can agree that, you know, there's like there's ample reason to make a coaching move. Uh, and I guess the next, you know, the next step that we see in the evolution of this Oilers team is, you know, is it is it even a systems problem or is it mm-hmm. just an in-game coaching problem? Or, oh, okay. You know what coaching I mean? Problem. Yeah, yep. like like I my my gut tells me that we might see immediate returns just on the way this team is coached in game, right? I, I've always felt, and I and I'm curious your take on this, yeah, as well as I always felt the other thing that was lacking with the Oilers was I, I felt like they never came prepared for the other team. Yeah, and I think some people pointed that out, especially in the series against Chicago uh, in the summer of 2020 in the bubble, where. Uh, there were a lot of people saying Dave Tippett got out coached by uh, a rookie head coach in Chicago, Jeremy Colleton, who's also been fired. But that's a that was a moment where you thought, okay, the Oilers are the number five ranked team in the Western Conference. They're playing the number twelve ranked Chicago Blackhawks. The only reason the Blackhawks are even in this situation is because of the extended playoff format and. Edmonton doesn't uh, get, win that series. They they lose three to one, and Tippett, you know, some decision making with how he put together his lineup, what goaltenders to dress at what times. There were some questions, and I think that's the first time when people really started to a turn on Dave Tippett a bit because how can you really get on him too much when the Oilers finished second place in the Pacific division in 2019, 20. And for two straight months, they held down first place in the division over the Vegas golden Knights. That was the best regular season I've seen them play in mm-hmm. at least, at, at least in the last, well, I guess 2016, 17, you could argue was better, but those two seasons in my lifetime of watching the Oilers were probably their two best regular seasons. And, and for it to sort of, just end on such a sour note. I, I I feel like that's when a lot of fans are like, okay, what's going on, Dave Tippett? Why were you not able to get this team over the hump? They were supposed to win a playoff series this year. They didn't. They lost to the lowest ranked team in the West. And they followed it up. I mean, you look at how last season started. The Oilers got off to a really bad start. Then they turned it around with an 18-7 and run, got them back not only into the playoffs, but second place in the division behind only Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you lose in the first round again to Winnipeg. So another, another tough blow, but um, let's hope that bringing in uh, uh, Jay Woodcroft will help get this team sort of back where they need to be. And, and if they can even get into the playoffs, maybe they'll, they'll have a, a better success this time. Like I said, it is a rookie head coach, but I, I want to see the fun brought back in. Lately, the Oilers haven't looked like they've been having a lot of fun. And when I watch Bakersfield play, that team always looks like they're having a great time out there. And I know that it's 
it's pro sports. It's not about just having fun. It's about results. But I do think that that positive attitude and, and having fun out there will lead to more success as well. Hey, and, and one thing we haven't mentioned is like how great of a story is Woodcroft? Like, yeah, this is this is actually a feel good story that the Oilers are, you know, lacking. Right. Like especially in the uh, Tippett era of, you know, not really rewarding youth and <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that. Right. Like this is the story of a guy who's, I think, given the Oilers just about everything he can and deserves a shot. Right. And and I think I mean, Oilers let's... fans are behind him. And I think, you know, if if I'm the players, I'm behind that too, right? Like most of these guys played with played for Woodcroft and Bakersfield at some point, right? Not most of them, but a lot of them. I mean, right? let's not forget. Yeah, that, well, that's sort of what I alluded to earlier is that uh, there will be a comfortability factor because of Woodcroft having a previous relationship with, I don't know, maybe half the guys on this roster. And from from guys that he either coached during his first time in the NHL with this team or the players that he sort of grew with in Bakersfield. But um, uh, where did I want to go with this next? Uh, losing my train of thought here. Oh, the, that's what I want to talk about. The, I think that there needs to be the, a standard that he sets right from the, the tone as soon as he gets in that this team is going to play a certain way and that we are going to keep our shift lengths to uh, a certain amount. We're not going to have these two minute, two and a half minute shifts out there. Sometimes we're going to finish our checks. We're going to have clone, uh, clean zone exits, uh, making smart decisions with the puck. So we're not turning it over and, and having odd man rushes coming back the other way. If they can sort of fix these things, like you look at the game against Vegas two nights ago, three goals off the rush coming either from, uh, a shot that was blocked that wasn't a a wise shot to take or uh, just a miscue where a defenseman pinches up too much and it leads to a a guy coming down the wing and just puts the puck home. These are the areas where I think that they can sort of clean up and and if they can cut down the goals against in that respect, I think that'll help a lot too. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, this, there is some hope for this team and you know, there's um, you know, I, I'm just, when I say I don't, you know, I don't believe, I think part of me, you know, is, is limiting my expectation because it is a tough road to climb, you know, and I want to be, and, and we haven't yet seen this team, you know, perform to the standard, at least not since December, right? And I, and I would argue that even at the beginning of the season, there were some, you know, factors at play that... Um, you know, maybe made us look a little bit better than we were, right? Maybe yeah, a little special bit. teams, both, yeah. both special, special teams. teams but, and, but I mean, yeah. if you want to give Tippett some credit too, and I know that he definitely had a factor in the power or the penalty kill being as good as it was the previous two years. And depending on who you give most of the credit to, gullets and running it, or the fact that they have two superstars out there uh, for basically the full two minutes every every night on the power play. That those two units really did a lot, and and I just hope that with uh, with Woodcroft coming in, that while it, it it still is great to have strong special teams, that the the even strength play improves because it always seemed like mm-hmm. 
the team the team's been reliant on Drysaitel and McDavid to carry the team offensively, and then you just hope that the rest of the team breaks even. You know, if we can just we, the other you're not expecting them to score, but just don't let anything in, and as long as you reduce the chances, McDavid and Drysaitel should score enough to to get this team a win. It's great if we can see the depth players start to score more and. There have been times this year where the third line or even the fourth line have chipped in and started to create some uh, offense. You look at that game against Montreal they had a couple weeks ago. 14 players on the team had a had a point that night, and McDavid wasn't one of them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the I can't even remember a time where I've ever seen that many skaters on the Oilers all get a point. So there there is the depth there, and I think adding. Um, an Evander Kane and if Dylan Holloway ends up coming up later in the season these are guys who do allow you to sort of balance your lines a little more so that you don't have to play McDavid and Dreisaitl together because the Oilers have been a top heavy team so for so long and if you can kind of even out that talent distribute it throughout the your top nine well now you can send wave after wave over the boards of skill as opposed to making the opposition say, okay, as long as we shut down the McDavid and Dreisaitl line, uh, we should be fine because we're going to outscore their other lines. Well, and that, you know, to me, that's one of the keys to all of this, right, is, is you know, when I talk about utilization, I talk about giving that third and that fourth line a few more minutes and, and at the right possible times right mm-hmm. to to be momentum changers and i i think about it like baseball right like protecting certain players in the order right and if you can protect your top players in the order right you give them the puck at the right times you've worn out the other team you know through good third and fourth line play right then those players you know have you know more space more time They've got more ability to do more with it. You know, they've got momentum on their side, a whole bunch of other factors that, you know, they don't necessarily, you don't need your third and fourth line to contribute night after night when you've got a, when you've got guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl. They don't need to contribute on the score sheet, but they need to contribute to the momentum of the game, right? They need yes. to be those energy lines and, and those guys that go out there and, and uh, Josh, tough call pod, broke down the fourth uh, line for uh, against the Ottawa team and how you know successful they were during that game, and just showed how every time they went out on the ice, right, and it was probably one of the best fourth line games we saw. It was McLeod, Shore, and um, I want to say it was Fogel that game. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Derek Ryan. Oh, yeah, it was Derek Ryan. McLeod, Shore, and Derek Ryan. And they, like, they never lost possession. The end of their shift wasn't a dump and a dump and uh, and change. It was usually a uh, possession change, right? Where they, you know, they, uh, the Oilers kept possession when the top line would come out. They kept the puck out of the defensive zone, right? Into the offensive zone, beating down the other team, doing really well. Obviously, we didn't get the result in that game that we would have hoped, but still, at the end of the day, yeah, we still got a point out of it. And at the end of the day, if you have game after game after game like that, and I, you know, it pains me to no end, (laughs) but that's what the Flames are doing. Right. Like, well, and, and I, you know, Daryl Sutter is a good coach. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and it, he, it drives me absolutely insane. But that whole that whole team. Right. Yeah. Is all about like, 
you know, right from right from uh, this time summer started, right? He prepped that team for the style of play they were going to play, right? Yeah. Like, if I'm going to take top six over top six, I'll take the Oilers every day of the week. Yeah. Right. Like they're hands down. But the but reason you're getting tender, something, well, it, but the reason you're getting their, their something out of their top six shuttles. though is those guys. They just they consistently keep coming at you. Third, yeah. fourth line, they're coming at you, and then the first and the second line, you know, they've got more room to move because, look, you can't, you know, you can't take time off when the third and fourth line come out. But you can yeah, if that third and fourth line's only playing six or seven minutes a night. Right. And, and thankfully, Edmonton has beat Calgary in both games so yeah. far. Yeah, that's and the way, those that's are those are four have. big <laughs> points and, and taking yeah. four points away from them. They still have to play Calgary two more times in their barn, too. So those will be huge games coming up down the stretcher. But like I mentioned, the Oilers have a really good record against the Pacific Division. So if they can continue that trend, I think that's going to be a huge reason that gets them back in the playoff picture because now you're actually going head-to-head with the teams that you're chasing. Yeah. So basically they're all going to be four point games and, and that'll be huge for the Oilers. Um, just any, any last thoughts before I move on, on Jay Woodcroft and what you're hoping to see from him? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've pretty much touched on all of it. I, I, I expect him to be a, a guy that, you know, um, and we talked about the accountability. I expect him to be a guy that rewards the positives in a team and, and, yeah. uh, and looks across the lineup and doesn't overplay uh, you know, our two star players. Um, I expect him to get depth out of this team. Uh, and I, and I expect Manson to come in and, and change the defensive system to one, you know, that works for the rest of the team. And I hope that, you know, because the defensive system changes, we get, you know, just an overall better goaltending posture, um, yeah. which I think will happen. So I, you know, I expect good things. I just don't know what's going to happen overnight, but, um, Look, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Woodcroft. I really, to me, this is one of the best news stories, you know, we've had for a guy in oil country in a long time. He's um, he deserves the shot, and he's you know he's paid his dues, and and I think he's done it well. He's he's trained some of the prospects, uh, you know, on that uh, Bakersfield team uh, exceptionally, and he's got the most out of that team year after year. Um, so it's so it's so great. I I. I'm just so happy for the guy, and, and he's a likable guy, too. He does. I, every time I've heard him talk on the radio or seen him in interviews after uh, Condor's games, he always seems like a, a very positive, upbeat guy. And, you know, down there he really uh, focused on giving the Oilers' top prospects the the cherry minutes and the prime opportunities over – even if they were – over veteran AHL players who might be uh, better pros at the moment. He wanted to have those young guys playing in the the important times of the game. And and I hope that he's going to do that when he comes up to Edmonton as well. Even though the the NHL is not a development league the way the AHL is, I I expect him to do that, uh, have that same mentality. And and just finally, I'll say, um, you look at the way that we, we talked about like both of you and I have mentioned that, yes, we, we want to see good play rewarded and, and players moved up and down the lineup depending on how they're how they've played. But one thing Dave Tippett often did was he'd have his lines in a blender. And if he didn't like the way the team looked after one period, he'd switch everything up. And I want to see a little more time given to these players to develop chemistry, to work through any problems they're having out there and, and try to 
just build build more familiarity with each other so they don't have to be constantly playing with different line mates uh, not even game after game but period after period if you can kind of keep a f- at least your top nine I, the, the fourth line you can change in and out but i'd like to see the top nine stay together for several games in a row yeah. where you know the they're playing together on a on a regular basis i mean you got a guy like kane who's coming in new to the lineup he hasn't played with any of these guys before he's still finding his legs after being off for all these months any of the new prospects coming up they're still getting used to where they fit in the lineup too but give these guys some time to with your defensive partner or with your forward lines to have a little bit more space to grow together to build some of that chemistry and, and hopefully that will pay dividends down the road. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I've, I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Let's uh, keep going now on uh, the goaltending topic. And we sort of touched on this already, but the Oilers currently rank 23rd in the league in goals against per game at 3.32, which I mean, it, it's a three, two league. And if the Oilers are letting in over three goals a game, then they're coming out on the wrong end of that 3-2 score more often than not. And I, I think we've both said this, but we don't put all the blame on Edmonton's three goalies either because the team defense hasn't been good at all this season. But now with their season basically on the line and a condensed schedule down the stretch drive, does Ken Holland need to address the goaltending immediately? Well, I I don't know that he can. I mean, the salary cap situation the way that it is, I think that, you know, I think that he wants to. There's no doubt, you know, if he finds, I think anyway, I mean, I, who can know for sure, but I think if he fa- if he were to find the right deal, you know, it would have to include some type of subtraction, the likelihood being uh, Koskinen going the other way, right? Yeah. I mean, it's um, going to be a money out, money in, money out situation. Yeah. It, I mean, it would have to be. Um, but outside of that, I mean, they're, you know, they're in a cap situation because of the uh, Evander Kane signing uh, that sort of limits what their options are uh, in terms of, you know, can they just pick somebody up for, you know, any old prospect? It's It's got to be, you know, they've got to find the right guy to go on the way out. And so, so I think it's a tough, tough boat. Um, I, I, I still suspect we will get a goalie. I don't think it's going to be the goalie everybody wants. Um, my if I was to uh, if I was a betting man, um, I would uh, definitely um, I'd be thinking that it's uh, going to be uh, Vejmelka or um, uh, I saw someone tweet out earlier today. I, I think it was uh, they tweeted that Elliot Friedman mentioned. That the Oilers could be in on uh, the Blues backup. Uh, yeah, that's name, the guy. Uh, I'm yeah, forgetting that's who his, I'm yeah. thinking of too. Yeah, thank and you. And he's been playing great lately. But I mean, you look—I w- I should look up his name. But you know, um, because that they have Bennington locked up for I think four more years at yeah. at a, a pretty Huso. good cap hit. Yes, Husso, Husso. Yeah, yeah, that's who I was thinking. So if if my if I had to and and why I say like Oilers fans won't be excited about it is these are two names that you know we and he's still pretty unproven yeah. too. I mean, even though he's been playing really well lately, I mean, what if this is just a hot stretch and the Blues sell on him at the right time? Exactly. You, know, you just you never know. There there isn't like a, a long track record there. 
But I mean, at the same time, there wasn't a long track record on Bennington when he really took off three years ago as well and led the Blues on that miracle run. I think people sometimes forget that, too. They were last place in the NHL midway through the 2018-19 or at least at last yeah, place in the Western Conference. Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> and and they went on they went on to win the cup due to like his heroic goaltending in the, yeah. the second half of the season. I'm not expecting them to get that. And the Oilers shouldn't even need to have that type of goaltending, but they need NHL consistent solid goaltending. They need to have a guy who you can count on night after night who isn't going to let in uh, at least one soft goal every game because it's that one that sinks you and then they're chasing the game night after night. I mean, how many times has this team played from behind? It just, they're, they always seem to be having these slow starts and I think that just mentally weighs on them. They're, you know, it's two, three minutes into the game and they're already behind. Last night it's two nothing, mm-hmm. you know, three minutes in and now you're, you're just constantly doing this uphill battle game after game. And it was it was interesting, or I mean, not interesting in a bad way. That even when they had that sixteen and five record, they weren't scoring first all that often. So it's just yeah. Well, it's, it's been thirty two games, problem, right, right? That we've or thir- maybe yeah. thirty three. I know it's at least thirty two. So that means only twelve games we've scored first, which is you know pretty crazy. Yes, it's somewhere around yeah. there. They're yeah. just constantly trailing and. He, I mean, you can look at the numbers, but the team who scores first in the NHL often wins. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember hearing that stat. It's something like 60 or 70% of the time, whoever scores first in the game, they win that game. So it would be nice for the Oilers to get used to playing with the lead a little more often, as opposed to having to constantly chase the game and um, put up this great effort in the third period just to tie it and try and force the game to overtime, which they often win in overtime because the their high-end skill in three-on-three three, uh, is definitely in their favor. But you, you'd like them to be able to go into the third period with a 3-2 lead, with a 4-2 lead once in a while, instead of having to be down by a goal or two and having to you know, just scratch and claw to get back into every single game. I think that really weighs on this team. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um it's something they need. They need to, you know, start playing the game from up front and and it's as much mental as anything. Um yeah. and maybe the uh change with the new coach can can you know divert their attention from that. Uh, the other thing is that Ken Holland has said that he doesn't want to trade the twenty twenty two first round pick. Yeah. Now the way I look at it I would be willing to move that pick if it was for a young, talented goaltender who could grow with this group. Like if they could get a uh, Gorgiev out of oh, the yeah. Rangers. Yeah. You know, like if if you could get a guy like that, then I would be willing to move the first round pick because you have to think the guy that the Oilers are drafting right now or this summer, he's going to be 18 years old. McDavid's 25. By the time that kid is 21 and getting ready to enter the league. We're talking about near the end of McDavid's contract. You want to have players who can grow with this team right now. And and that's like back in the summer when there were rumors that Edmonton was trying to trade for Darcy Kemper from the Coyotes. And uh, apparently, or reportedly, the Coyotes asked for Sam Rukov in that trade, and they didn't want to trade a young defenseman like that, or they asked for Broberg or something. And they weren't willing to part with 
uh, a top young defenseman. And then Colorado uh, came in and offered Connor Timmins. And, you know, you can't blame them for doing it. Their team is in win-now mode, and they have so many young, good defensemen already. I mean, with two guys like... Uh, Kale McCarr <laughs> yeah. and Bowen Byram. I mean, when you have two guys like that, you can afford to trade a guy like Timmins. Edmonton, they have a lot of young defensemen that they're they've have grown up with the system the last few years too. But it seemed like Holland was a little more hesitant to move one of those guys. And and I think that if the Oilers had a, a McCarr on this team, then they would be more willing to do that. But Broberg is the the high end prospect along with Bouchard and um, I mean I've envisioned those two as the Oilers top two defensemen down the road. I think now that we know Darnell Nurse is going to be here long term, it's more likely that Broberg settles into that second pairing role. But I'm fine with that as well. But it's just they don't have that that game breaker on the blue line like a McCarr that allows you to to make a trade like that for a goaltender. Yeah, yeah, and. You know that um, in time. I mean, and some of that's luck, right? You got to luck into. Yeah. I mean, who knew Makar would be as good? <laughs> oh, he. I mean, I mean, in a redraft, he would go first overall for easily. sure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I remember that year. Colorado was historically bad. the The 2017 Avalanche were worse than any of the Oilers teams during the decade of darkness, and they ended up. Uh, losing all three of the lottery draws. So they they went from having the projected first overall pick down to fourth, and they still ended up getting Makar. So, I mean, it kind of worked out for them anyway. Uh, and I think the Byron pick was a result of a three-way trade with the Senators and the Predators in the Matt Duchesne deal. So that was the result of another high draft pick that they they got him for because the abs had sort of turned a corner and were pretty good i think by the time uh they drafted um byram but yes would the oilers be willing to trade the first round pick for a stud young goaltender absolutely i would do that deal because i mean it, it doesn't matter how many goals the oilers score if they if they can't keep the puck out of their own net then you're going to be losing a lot of five four games and and I feel like that's something that this team is is going to need to address quickly if they do want to get into the playoffs this year. And I think that they, I've, I've said, I think they will make the playoffs, but that does uh, kind of hinge on getting a, a stronger option in net. Yeah, I, I, it's just I don't know that it's going to happen as quick as we want it to as as Oilers fans. Um, I, the, well, the deals the, tend to happen yeah. closer to the deadline, right? Yeah, and that's uh, what March. What is it? Twenty. 21st yeah we're still you know over a month away um and the reason they happen close to the deadline is always because of the uh, cap right i mean that's yeah that's why and and so you know by that point in time we could <laughs> we could be a long ways out i mean let's not forget too <laughs> nhl gms are very smart guys and they they take one look at the oilers and they know that this is an area of of weakness that they're trying to upgrade. Yeah. So be so because of that, the Oilers are negotiating from a position of weakness. And Ken Holland is probably going to have to overpay to get uh the goaltender in that they that they want. But I think regardless if they're able to get a star goaltender or not, they can't go into the playoffs with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen as their one and two for the third straight year. There has to be at least a different goaltender in there, even if it's only a slight upgrade. Um, 
I saw earlier today that it had been reported that the Oilers offered a fifth round pick to the Flyers for Martin Jones. I'm not sure how much of an upgrade Martin Jones is on any of the Oilers goaltenders, but he's probably at least a slight upgrade over all of them. And maybe that slight upgrade still leads to two or three more wins than they would have got with their current goaltending uh, setup. So, uh, and, and who knows, Stuart Skinner might uh, end, end up taking over down the stretch here too. But I, I think that you don't want to rely on this kid in his rookie season to be the guy who's going to lead the way going into the playoffs. It'd be nice to have sort of a experienced or at least more proven goaltender going into the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I wonder because Holland talked about it and has talked about it. He expected Smith and Koskinen to share duties all season And he felt like that was enough to get us at least to the playoffs. So what, I mean, that, he what tried, that tells but... me is if, if you have a Smith or a Koskinen replacement, likely for Smith because he's the one that's been the injured player, yeah, uh, that is equal or better, then he, that's what he's going to be confident in. But, but right? we know also, yeah. Uh, Bob Stoffer has put it out. Other Oilers sources have put it out. The Oilers tried to trade Miko Koskinen in, in the offseason, and they couldn't find a deal well, for him. Take him, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And they tried to get an upgrade. And you know, you can you can fault Ken Holland for that if you please, and say you know you didn't get the job done. But a lot of people will say he, you know, he failed there. He whether whether or not it was a hard job, and and I admit it was a hard job. But he's paid big money to do the hard job, right? So there's not a lot of people who are feeling sympathy for him. They're saying, you know, you're getting $5 million a year. It's a tough job, but figure it out. Yeah, it, you know, it's um, it, that brings up just kind of like the last question in all of this is, um, does Holland have a job if the Oilers don't make the playoffs this year? I think it's something that Daryl Cates will have to look at. And the thing is, like, that's one of the things I worry about, too, with Jay Woodcroft. Like, you look at how well he and Dave Manson were doing in Bakersfield. If if the Oilers didn't bring those guys up, I feel like another organization would have snatched them up and, and given them Absolutely. an opportunity. Yep. I mean, they they had basically performed at a high-end level at the AHL and we're basically deserving of a crack in the NHL somewhere. And I'm glad that the Oilers were the the landing spot for those two guys because you'd hate for like another team to give them a shot and then they end up thriving there. And then the Oilers look like fools because you had these coaches in your own organization. You let them walk because there wasn't an opportunity. So that can also be a, a, something that could be a positive out of the Oilers coaching change that they at least didn't let these guys go to uh, somewhere else and, and thrive there. But, uh, but the way that this team is like, they, they have to get, get a goaltender in there who can give them some stability. And and I just hope that uh, Holland is going to find that. And if, if he doesn't, and this team misses the playoffs, then maybe he does get fired in the summer and then what happens? Is Woodcroft only going to get half a season with the team? We saw what happened with Todd Nelson in 2015. Yep. He came up for half a year, and then he got axed to bring in Todd McClellan. So I'm hoping that this is going to be more than just a one-year kind of tryout. I, I'd like to see him 
have a full season with this team next season to to at least see yeah, where this. I, you know, this that's group the one thing I legit don't see happening. Right, like it's I don't I don't think that any GM comes in would would take uh, would. But the GMs it. like to bring in their own guy. They too, do. Right? I just think in this in this scenario, it's it's a little different than the Todd Nelson thing. It, yeah, it, during the Todd Nelson year, you know, it was you know it was really just bad timing, and and the Oilers mm-hmm. didn't have this. You know, uh, what would you call it? Reputation as as being coach killers uh, at the wanted, time. Um, uh, well, I mean, they, <laughs> yeah. they had fired several coaches leading up to that too. I mean, with Rennie and McTavish for a brief period, and Ralph Kruger, but Dallas Akins. It's just a matter of they. I think they wanted an experienced head coach like Todd McClellan to start the the Connor McDavid era. Yeah, and. You know, this is what this is going to be McDavid's fourth coach uh, in his NHL career. It's going to be Nugent Hopkins' ninth coach. I mean, at some point, you have to have a guy who's going to be here for three, four, five years. And I, I think that a lot of people thought when Tippett was hired that he might be that guy because he did have the track record and and he did leave a job in Seattle to come take this coaching opportunity. So. Um, hopefully Woodcroft will thrive here and that he's going to, you know, be a, a longtime coach for this team. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, going to be his biggest fan. And I think all Oilers fans are cheering for him to, to do well here. But yeah, it's, it's going to be one of those things where maybe you're right. Ken Holland's job might be more on the line than Woodcroft's if the team did miss the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, time will tell. Um, and I hope you're right. I, I obviously as a fan, you just want to see this team do well. I do think they're going to, they're going to do better. The the question in my mind is, you know, do they come out of this with a coaching bump? And if they do, I think then things will be positive. If, if they I mean, don't, because there's not enough time in between Tippett and Woodcroft and it's just the nature of where the team's headed, then we could be yeah. in for a long second half of the season. I think in November 2018, when the Oilers fired uh, Todd McClellan and brought in Ken Hitchcock, if I'm not mistaken, they went 9-2-2 in his first 13 games behind the bench. So that that's when the Oilers were started to be headed on the right track again. And it's just a matter of they sort of the wheels fell off after that and they finished you know, well out of the playoffs. So if if the Oilers can have a similar streak like that with Woodcroft taking over, then that will get them back into the playoff picture. But it's just a matter of sustaining at this time and not letting, uh, you know, the tough schedule down the stretch, allow them to fall out of it. Uh, let's move on to Evander Kane now. So this is a topic that sort of divided oil country, uh, in recent weeks, especially when he signed back on January 28th, uh, the Oilers signed Kane to a one-year deal with a $2.1 million cap hit. I believe he's going to make something like 900000 in actual money um, for the prorated season. But, you know, like I said, this this signing has clearly split the fan base. And, and I was checking out various Twitter polls that people had put out, and it seemed like it was always somewhere around two-thirds of the fans were on board with Kane coming in and uh, there was a, a very vocal 
third of the fan base that wanted nothing to do with this guy. And, you know, he's it's almost entirely because of his many on ice issues, including accusations of both sexual and domestic violence mm-hmm. um, towards his estranged wife. And obviously any player with his reputation coming in uh, is going to you're going to have a you're going to have a portion of the fan base at least who isn't isn't going to ever cheer for the guy regardless of what he does on the ice for the team. But I just wanted to get what was your reaction to the signing of Kane and what have you thought of his play on the ice so far? Yeah, I, you know, my reaction um you know, and I didn't uh, didn't hide this. I didn't want the Oilers to sign Kane. I'm, I, yeah. I'd still prefer that they hadn't, uh, but they did. And, and um, you know, it's not going to affect my uh, own personal decision to watch the team. I mean, I, you know, there's um, there's a lot of background, obviously, there. And, and I don't know all the details. Uh, uh-huh. And maybe, shamefully, to some extent, I haven't looked f- far enough into them to you know, take a hard stance on it. But, you know, if, if it had been up to me, you know, if I was in Ken Holland's chair, I would have walked away from that for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the, the dressing room thing at the time we were a a fragile team. Uh, of course he came in and, you know, we won a few games right away. So as a player though, I mean, there's no, I remember uh, watching Kane from his days in Atlanta and thinking, like, man, this guy's got some serious skill. Yeah, uh, there's no denying that. And uh, what we've seen out of him through it's what four games now? Uh, three, five games. Five games. He had he had a three points in his first three That's games right. before yeah. the All Star break, and he didn't have a point the past two games. Yeah, and I, and I don't like I don't think he's blowing the doors off anything, but um, you know he's. He looks like a guy that's, you know, played four or five games uh, and is catching up. And, you know, and to have to be at the level he's at in, you know, those those few games uh, tells me he's a hell of a player. Like he's, yeah. you know, you, um, you know, and anybody that says otherwise is is only saying that uh, because they because they hate the guy. Right. And yeah. so, you know, there's just no denying this guy's a good player. So, yeah, if we're going just off of just off of the player, then, hey, he's a great signing. And and so that's yeah. kind of where I've resigned to be is is, you know, he's a he's a good signing as a player. And um, you can't argue that he's uh, right. He, and he's and it's four points, actually, in the five games he's had two goals, oh, two assists. Okay. Uh, and he's plus four. So, I mean, and he's, he's, you know, he's hitting, he's playing physical, yeah. he's, you know, he, he's getting in players' faces. And I, I mean, I'll be honest, I have not liked this player throughout the majority of his career, mm-hmm. uh, even though, even though he's never actually been convicted of anything, there have been multiple accusations and, you know, people will say where there's smoke, there's fire. Mm-hmm. And he, he addressed that. So a reporter actually asked him that during his introductory press conference. And he sort of tried to downplay that and say, you know, where there's smoke, it usually clears. And also that, you know, he asked the fans to at least give him a chance, give, give me a chance before you make up your mind about me. And as long as he can come into Edmonton and be a, a model citizen and off the ice, then I think that the fans will give him uh, a chance, at, at least some of them. Now, 
it is a touchy subject because a lot of his issues, like, yes, he does have millions of dollars of gambling debt uh, debts. He did break COVID-19 protocol over the Christmas break to travel from California to his uh, off-season home in Vancouver. But, like, the, the stuff with women and, and about his... Uh, everything with his wife. I, I sometimes wonder that like the, the courts gave him custody of his four year old daughter and Kevin Weeks, I believe was talking about this on, I think Stoffer's show too. Yeah. And saying that, you know, if, if he was as bad of a guy as they make him out to be, that the courts would never have entrusted him to have sole custody of a young daughter like that. So I don't know if that's just a situation like I. I yeah, I mean, I like, don't I don't know if I buy that only that, you know, it it sounds like his, you know, uh, former estranged wife is, yeah. has as many challenges as he has. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, the courts, Maybe that's the just, courts will could... rarely opt to take the child away. Uh, he mm-hmm. might have been just the better of two evils. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. and of course, he's probably making the higher salary. Yeah. So having, having, you know, and like I said, I, I try not to focus on that much, but at the same time, like, you know, uh, you know, you and I are, are two guys who, you know, love and respect the women in our lives and, and want to always make sure that, you know, we're not siding with someone who goes against those values. But yeah. ba- based on what I, you know, have seen from Kane on the ice so far and, and what we knew we were sort of getting in him as a, a power forward who can skate like the wind, has a hard wrist shot, good vision. I mean, th- this is a player that would cost the Oilers $6 million in free agency typically. Yeah, and, the fact yep. that, and the fact that they were able to get him for pennies on the dollar, if he didn't have this troubled past and this bad reputation, then... The, he would not be an Edmonton Oiler right now. So this is a situation where he's coming in, he's trying to revive his NHL career, and maybe he'll only be here for 40 games and he'll sign somewhere else in the offseason. Uh, you know, it's been reported that he didn't enjoy playing in uh, Winnipeg or Buffalo. So I, I'm guessing that playing in the cold weather, you know, isn't his favorite, although yeah. he did kind of make light of that in his press conference as well, which I thought was kind of funny, but, uh, it, it's, I don't think this is his long-term home, but if he can come in and give the Oilers that added depth that they're looking for and allow them to play McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl down the middle and Ryan McLeod as your fourth line center, now the Oilers have more options and he's giving them uh, that on a, a bargain contract. So that's something that this team has to be thankful for in a sense that you know they never would have got a player of his ilk if it if it wasn't for the situation he was in, yeah, and, and I wouldn't even begin to say he's not a good player. He is a good player. Mm-hmm. He'll come into his game as the season progresses and and add some value on the ice. The question will always be about what he adds off the ice, uh, and uh, we may we may never know. Um, and mm-hmm. and to some extent, I hope we never know. Like I hope yeah. this only is a you know fifty game try out for a big free agent contract someplace else because I, you right. know there's enough there's enough there for me to say uh he's not somebody that you know I want associated with the team that I love and there's also you know enough there right like that from that 
press conference to say, yeah. here's a guy who, you know, refuses to take any responsibility for his actions. And he did seem yeah. like that, too. I mean, yeah. yeah, like we said, he did have some moments where he had the media laughing. But, yes, he didn't. It didn't seem like he wanted to take a ton of accountability for the things yeah. he'd done, he had done. Um, but uh, just to close on this, I'll say if the Oilers do end up making the playoffs and playing Calgary in the first round, I feel like he's a player that we will be glad that we have. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I, they, he makes the team better on the ice. Uh, okay. Uh, just quickly, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but the 2022 Winter Olympics are now underway. The men's ice hockey tournament started in China yesterday, and for the second straight Olympics, NHL players won't be participating. Michael, are you still interested in watching men's ice hockey, even if the best players in the world aren't there? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, uh, to be fair, I'm not interested. I've, I'm actually more interested in the women's game. Yeah. And um, no, it just doesn't. This doesn't enthuse me the same. I, you know, I like a best on best tournament, and NHL hockey is happening at the same time, so I'm definitely more into NHL. And I mean, if you if you want to call the 2016 World Cup of Hockey the last best on best tournament, then you know that was even six years ago. But some will go back as far as the 2014 Winter Olympics because. They had a couple gimmick turn uh, gimmick teams in the last World Cup. Uh, obviously, the team Europe for countries that aren't as strong that are all kind of combined together, uh, and as well as the under twenty three or the under twenty four uh, North American squad, which you know denied players like Connor McDavid the opportunity to play for Team Canada. Uh, I enjoyed that tournament because of. The young squad, I was actually enjoying watching them more than I was watching Canada. Yeah. And it's it's a team that we'll never see put together again. The best American and Canadian players all on one team together. And um, the, the next question I have for you is that Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic reported last week that the NHL and NHLPA have begun planning for a 2024 World Cup of Hockey. And LeBron went on to say that the strongest possibility to hold this tournament would be in February of 2024, midway through uh, the regular season, which is you know about exactly two years from now. And that's a, a departure from the usual uh, World Cup and Canada Cup events that have been held in September over the, the many decades that the NHL's run uh, this event. Uh, and of course, they're still planning on going to the 2026 Winter Olympics as well. If this ends up happening and they get back to having proper teams and without any gimmicks like Team North America or Team Europe, will you be as excited to watch the World Cup of Hockey as the Olympics? Yeah, in, in fact, maybe a little bit more. Uh, you know, I, I loved the Canada Cup when it happened, mm -hmm. right? And I loved... You know, and I I love the stories about some of the Super Series back in the day, and and you know, I, I love best on best hockey, and I love it. You know, when it's um, when NHL players are involved, I don't. Yeah. You know, I I think the Olympics creates something different for it. That in, in fact, you know, the odds are that if they play a, a World Cup, it'll be played on NHL size ice yes right and so you know i prefer that i'm, I'm well, not a big fan of the olympic size ice as well um the one thing the world cup of hockey which you know was preceded by the canada cup it's an nhl sanctioned tournament yeah. which means that it has all nhl refs 
NHL rules, the double IHF uh, doesn't dictate uh, the rules as uh, uh, they would at the Olympics. So, you know, there would be fighting allowed in the, in the, the tournament, whereas that is not allowed in international hockey typically. And, you know, you'd be playing with, you know, an NHL feel like in North America as opposed to playing overseas. And I really think that, you know, it's an exciting tournament. You go back and look at the 1987 Canada Cup. I wasn't around for that tournament, but from, you know, I've went back and watched those games and seen multiple documentaries on it. And I think that was the best international hockey that's ever been played. I mean, you look at the best of three final between Canada and the Soviet Union, three straight games, um, two of which went to overtime, all of them finished in a 6-5 score. That, you had prime Gretzky, a young Lemieux, a, a dominant Soviet team. I encourage anyone to go back and watch those games on YouTube and just see the, the skill and the creativity out there mm-hmm. between both clubs. I mean, it was so exciting. And I think that because the Canada Cup ended in 1991 and it was rebranded as the world cup in 96 that some of those memories have kind of been lost on at least the last generation if not the last two generations because i was two years old the last time a canada cup tournament was played and even if these tournaments are technically all following the same chain uh, it, it doesn't feel like they're as connected because there's been these long gaps in between, right? 91 to 96, 96 to 04, 04 all the way to 2016. And now we're talking about another eight-year gap to 2024. So the biggest thing to make the World Cup of Hockey matter to fans again and have a reputation of being a tournament that the fans care about and that the players care about is to have this as a regular thing every four years or, or every two years, however often they choose to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and I hope that's what, what happens as a result of this. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's incredible hockey and all of the it things is. that I hate about international hockey, uh, don't exist in that, um, in that realm. And, and so, you know, it's just exciting. It's great. And the players come out like they, you know, they play as hard as they would if it was an Olympics and yeah, and they love now, at it. At the same and, time. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's really it. I was going to say, I think if you still asked any NHL player, they would say that the Olympics still matters more to them. And if you're, if you're a top level athlete, you want to play at the Olympics, regardless of what your sport is. So, I mean, you talk to any of these guys, they want the chance to represent their country at the Olympics and win a gold medal. But to have a best-on-best international tournament, it's something that we've been missing for a long time. And I'm really disappointed McDavid didn't have that opportunity to represent Canada at age 21 now he's going to miss it again at age 25 mm-hmm. so if, if this world cup does happen the first chance he'll have is at age 27 and by then crosby's going to be 36 i've always said i would love for mcdavid to have sort of that gretzky lemieux moment because it's well documented that mario lemieux learned a lot from wayne gretzky about how to be a champion in yeah. that tournament and i was hoping that mcdavid at this olympics would have that opportunity to kind of be around Sidney Crosby and see what it takes to to win in you know crucial moments and and to sort of just 
absorb everything he can from him. And maybe he'll get that opportunity two years from now, but um, I'm just hoping that they'll have that opportunity as well as the 2026 Olympics. So we, we might be getting in the next two to four years a couple best-on-best best tournaments, which I think all hockey fans should be excited about. Yeah, absolutely. And let's just close out the show by talking a little bit about heavyhockey.com, something that uh, I'm very proud to be a part of. And I'm sure for you, you know, just seeing this website get launched four months ago and and all the work that it took to get this project off the ground, it it must be uh, just a real enjoyable feeling for you to see where it's come. Yeah, I mean, this is... Um... This has been something that's been in the works for a while and, uh, you know, finally launched four months ago. Um, I would say, you know, it um, has very little to do with me and more to do with just having an opportunity in my life to meet a bunch of uh, quality people that um, all wanted to do something hockey related and, and talk and discuss hockey, yourself included. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we've done that and, and I think, you know, it's early days for heavyhockey.com, but I would say it's been, uh, unbelievably successful for what we've been able to accomplish so far. Exactly. And I mean, I really appreciate the opportunity to be not only the editor for the site, but also one of the writers. And we have such a talented group of writers that, you know, I get to work with and as well as podcast hosts, we have a series of podcasts on the on the network and you know this being one of them as well as your shows it's just i don't know I, this has been the most fun i've had in terms of being an oilers blogger or you know hosting a show it's it's just a great group and i've had several of the writers here who have been on the show recently you know dash has been on brett spencer so it's just and of course yourself and dursa from you know years ago that I've known these guys. I mean, it's just, it's been an awesome opportunity. I just want to ask you, how have you seen uh, the site grow since the start of October? Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's phenomenal because we didn't really, we did a bit of a launch, but I would say it's just a matter of everybody getting together and, and grinding out on the, uh, you know, on the, on the branding and the promotion and you know retweeting and and helping each other out and supporting mm -hmm. each other i kind of expected you know as you would with any site you know one or two people you know tuning in uh every day and and um you know we're getting multiple uh visitors that are returning to read and to see what's there and and you know every article is getting uh well read and and the podcasts are are uh, getting uh, good listens. We uh, the podcasts uh, which we all run, including this one here on the Heavy Hockey Network um, podcast. We we topped in. We were in the top 100 uh, hockey podcasts. Uh, nice on the charts, and and so those types of things, you know, are great. And it's just, you know, it's a matter of um, to me the success. You know, I keep going back to it. Is is just happens to be, you know, was, I've been lucky enough to meet uh, all of you and. And, um, and, and we're all, we're all in it together, right? I mean, there's, um, you know, we're, we're putting the sweat and the groundwork down to, um, to make something. And in four months, you know, to have the success we've had has been absolutely unreal. That's awesome. And for, for those visitors to the site or, or potential new visitors, 
what are some things that they can expect to see in the the months to come that you have planned for the website? Give us a, a little bit of a preview. Yeah, so uh, you know, there's always going to be lots of new things happening on the site as we, um, you know, we started obvi- obviously with just the bare minimum, which is you know adding editorials and doing the uh, hockey podcasts, and and I think part of it for me was just kind of seeing you know who was really along for the ride, uh, and as it turns out, everybody is, <laughs> so that's great. Um, but um, you know some of the stuff that um, you know we're going to start doing. We, we're starting a weekly mailbag uh, where all of us contributors on the site, and there's eight of us in total, um, are going to answer questions from our readers mm-hmm. and from our listeners, uh, and we'll do that um, every Friday. Uh, we're going to um, put out a gear page uh, or shop where you can buy you know some hockey related. Uh, uh, shirts and um, and a lot of different things, you know, some funny ones and some good ones, and and uh, whether they're Oilers related or hockey related, we'll you know we'll see. Uh, I would um, I have in my head that um, going into next year, which is still a little ways away, we'll get on a bit of a weekly cadence where, you know, all of us are doing um, you know weekly power rankings of the teams in the yeah. league and. And uh, so there's lots of things uh, that the sky's the limit for us. Um, I think, as I said, the important thing is, um, you know, we've got uh, eight contributors today. And uh, and if anybody's, if you're listening out there and you want to be a contributor or, you know, you want to do something uh, hockey related and you think you have the skill to do it, please reach out to Eric or myself or anybody that's related. And, you know, we'll, you know, do our due diligence and make sure you're a fit. Uh, and if you are, then we'd love to have you on board. Definitely. I mean, we're always looking for new writers and just new voices. And I think one of the interesting things about the group that we have here, anyone who listens to the various shows or reads the articles, is that uh, we all have different opinions on things. And that's going to be one thing that I'm looking forward to uh, with this new project where we're all going to be giving our, our takes because, you know, someone like Dash might have a completely different take than so, I think it goes without saying someone like Dursa. But uh, <laughs> those, those two those two will probably be combating each other in every single post. But uh, no, it's just it, it's great to have a, a wide variety of, of takes on different Oilers related topics or just hockey topics in general. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it is, it's going to be a really exciting year. And, and as we finish off the season, and if we get into playoffs, uh, you know, I completely expect all of us to be having a great time and yeah. putting out lots of articles. And, and, you know, my hope is um, that it grows to be more than just Oilers content. Um, but that's, you know, that's down the line. And, and frankly, I just, um, I think we're all having a little bit of fun. And, and writing some good stuff, and and I love reading what everybody's written. You know, yourself and mm-hmm. and Ryan and and uh, Durst and Dash, who who prior to this weren't really writing anything; they were mostly just podcasting. Have now started to put yeah. out some articles and and good good stuff too. And and so really enjoyed that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's just everything that's been put out. Um, you know, I get to read it all, and you know, I—that's one of the benefits of of this gig is that I get to be uh, the first to, you know, see everything, and uh, as well as I know you do as well. So I mean, that's that's a, an awesome thing about um, 
working here at the at heavyhockey.com and i just hope everyone continues to check out our content and we're going to have a big year in 2022 we're just getting started absolutely thanks so much eric yeah well thanks for being here for episode 40 as uh, well i know you've listened to all 40 episodes of my podcast (laughs) i have in fact i have as as the one who uh is my sound engineer so i appreciate that uh and we'll definitely have to have you back again soon thanks michael excellent thanks eric so for michael a bear i'm eric friesen this has been the 99 forever podcast we're out Slide.